In the construction business and can't find what you need, Quality Supply and Tool has served Hoosiers for over a quarter of a century. Tom Hawk is the branch manager of the Indy location on South Harding Street. We've always been big on keeping our shelves fully stocked of inventory of industrial-grade tools, concrete, masonry products, as well as the necessary accessories to help get the job done. You don't have it, you can't sell it. Our experience allows us to help with getting the pros as well as the weekend pro taken care of. Quality Supply and Tool also has locations in Bloomington, Lafayette, and Jeffersonville to help you think outside the box store. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, greetings and salutations, which is a fancy way of saying good evening. My name is Jake Query. Eddie Garrison is here flying the, Eddie, is it the Millennium Falcon or the Millennial Falcon? In your case, it would be the Millennial Falcon, right? Yep. Is it Falcon or Falcon? Falcon. Like, ah, like the bird? Yeah. Like the things that live up here above Monument Circle? Yes. Okay. So you are flying the, I'm going to call it the Millennial Falcon since you're running it, right? Yes. Manning the controls for us tonight. It is Beyond the Bricks. Good evening to you. And if you are listening to Beyond the Bricks at 8 o'clock on 93.5-1075, the fan, that means one thing and one thing only. And that is, it means it is a race weekend and or the month of May. It is not the month of May. So that means it is a race week here in Indianapolis. Coming up this weekend, the doubleheader, IndyCar, NASCAR, Triple header, if you include the fact that NASCAR is a two-step with the Xfinity Pennzoil 150 on Saturday, of course, the Brickyard on Sunday, all of this on the road course, Gallagher Grand Prix on Saturday as well for the IndyCar side of things, and a full slate on Friday. We'll get you the schedule coming up. But of course, when it comes to Beyond the Bricks, and for those of you that are unfamiliar with this program, uh, where have you been? The What we do is, this is a nostalgic program historically speaking, predominantly supported by the audio of radio of yesteryear involving the sport of racing. Some of that is interviews. Some of that is play-by-play. Some of that is commercials. All of it is collected tirelessly by the most valuable player behind, I shouldn't say behind the curtains because he's on this program, but Mike Thompson joins me Tonight, as he will each and every night this week, Mike, I kind of think of you as the Tim Sendrick of this effort. In other words, you have the car, you have the guy that drives the car, but none of it means anything without the brilliant engineering mind that tactically puts everything together, and that's kind of your responsibility in this program. Fair? Oh, I'm honored to be in the same category as Tim Sendrick. I I feel very honored by that. And I also want to point out that you started the week with a a squawking sound. Suddenly I felt like I was on a Morris Day album or something. (laughs) Nice Morris Day call. I like that. We had had the brand new dance called The Bird there for a moment. (laughs) O-E-O-E-O, right? (laughs) Exactly. Heck yeah. Uh, Let's begin with this, Mike. We've got a busy week ahead of us, and we'll get into all of that, including some really good stuff that you have tonight. But since we have talked last, you and I have not had a chance really to talk to people. We had a lot of fun in the month of May, and, you know, gosh, we're talking about almost a fourth of a year ago, but... A pretty good month of May, and I think when it's all said and done, a guy winning the Indy 500 that we anticipated 
that two people who will be doing Beyond the Bricks some 40 years from now will be talking about one who has been as good in an open wheel car as anybody, and that was really the glaring hole in his resume that's now been filled in Joseph Newgarden. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations that you know it's coming, and, uh, you know, like Tony Kanaan, it's like, what year is it finally going to happen for Joseph Newgarden and, and finally got it done this year? And, and you know, people were so happy that uh, that Joseph's finally going to not have to answer that when are you going to win the Indianapolis 500 question anymore? Because, uh, you know, like you said, it was just that that one hole. Uh, you know, I kind of felt that way with Will Power as well. I mean, Will Power had done, you know, everything there was to do except win the Indianapolis 500 before he won it. So, uh, you know, uh, outstanding effort for Joseph to win the 500 this year. We have talked over the course of this show numerous times about some of those who have knocked on the door, knocked on the door, and never were able to kick it through in terms of the Indianapolis 500. Joseph Newgarden had, and I always forget if he had tied or by one year surpassed, I think surpassed the record for most starts in a Roger Penske car at the Indianapolis 500 without ever having won the Indianapolis 500. I believe that that um, record goes back now to Ryan Briscoe, that Joseph Newgarden has gotten it done. But when it comes to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and of course this weekend with the stock cars here, IndyCar as well, yes, in fact, it is on the road course, but we'll talk uh, a lot over the next week or so about some of those who have driven both circuits in terms of NASCAR and IndyCar, some of which have run in the Brickyard 400 and the Indianapolis 500, some of which might have been a star in one series or the other, some of which crossed over, and that includes our first guest tonight. Now, I want to let people know um, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Mike and I do talk, obviously, uh, over the course of the off season about a number of different things. We text back and forth and check in from time to time and then found out, of course, once again that we were doing this show. And it's always um, a joy to be able to do so and a privilege. And certainly we appreciate those that have listened and that listen on podcast or after the fact stream it. It's much appreciated. And when we were talking about what to do for this show, Mike, I wanted to kind of give you the opportunity to set up why this particular show this evening and the subject matter uh, is of significant importance. All of the drivers that we talk about are of importance to both of us from a historical standpoint. But this one, I got the feeling I could tell was of particular importance to you. Yeah, um, this guy means a lot to me. He's been a friend of mine for a number of years. And, and this person, he's battling some health challenges right now. And, uh, you know, I don't want to really go into everything that he, he's battling because that's, you know, it's a personal battle. But, uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about my friend uh, Jigger Soroy tonight. Uh, he is one of the most special people that I've ever been lucky enough to meet in my life. Uh, he's worked tirelessly to help people. Um, he He's a person that he will call me and he'll. I could be having a terrible day and I see the phone light up with his name and I know that by the end of the phone conversation, he's going to have changed my day because he'll, his, his enthusiasm for life is infectious if you've ever had the opportunity to talk to him he he just he'll he'll bring you up with his enthusiasm and his zest for life he, he always talks about green flag days he always says at the end of our conversation have i hope wish you a green flag day my friend and and he he's just one of the most special people in my life and and a few years ago he he um he had an auction where he um he auctioned off all of the memorabilia from his father and his and his career and, and and Jigger's career as well. And and he 
he donated all of that, the money. He could have kept the money for himself. He didn't keep a dime of it. He, he donated all of it to Riley Hospital to help kids because in Jigger's mind, it's, it's helping other people. It's been the cornerstone of his life. And so I wanted to focus uh, a little bit on, on Jigger tonight uh, because he's just a special, special guy who's, uh, who's going through a tough time right now. You mentioned his father, Frenchie Soroy, who had been, of course, a mechanic around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, worked for some of the greats, as a matter of fact. Um, a couple of those names that his father had worked for, Mike, are those that you and I have talked about on this program before, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jimmy Bryan, among those, I believe, that, that Frenchie Soroy worked on. Uh, Sam Hanks, who won the race as well, among others, correct? That's correct. He worked with Lee Waller. He worked with Sam Hanks. He worked with Jimmy Bryan. I mean, he and Jimmy Bryan were very close. Um, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because, you know, Frenchie was such a, a throwback. And, and, you know, he named he named Jigger – after a driver, I mean, Jigger's given name is is actually Leon DeRay Saroy. He named Jigger after Leon DeRay, and then uh, you know Jigger actually picked up his nickname from uh, Jigger Johnson, who was a, a riding mechanic. So I mean, he 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 was involved in racing from a very young age, and and was around it, and and loved it obviously from a very young age. And so uh, you know, Jigger, he's just one of those guys that. Uh, you know, we're going to hear a clip here coming up uh, talking about what he's the most well known for. But I, I actually have a theory that I thought of this afternoon that I want to run by you after that clip. I think you'll find interesting as well. So, so Jigger Soroy, as we talked about his efforts, he never qualified for the Indianapolis 500 mile race. But that's not to say that he didn't have an established and successful racing career. He was a championship driver in midgets. He had won in the Milwaukee Mile. He had won really uh, a number of different races. But be it fair or not, Mike, when it comes to certainly in Indianapolis, the thing in which he might be most remembered is, in fact, not only his attempts to qualify for the Indianapolis 500, but if you could, before we hear from him here, set up for me a recap for folks that may not be familiar the Indianapolis 500-mile race, I think the thing that makes it so great, the thing that makes it so unique, the thing that draws people back so much is the heartache story and the perseverance that one is required to display in order to run Indianapolis, even when, to paraphrase an old movie I saw about baseball, even people that loved the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, despite the fact that oftentimes the Speedway might not have loved them back. And in Jigger Soroy case... Take me through, Mike, the circumstance in which he probably is best remembered of 1969. Well, in 1969, people have to remember the rules were much different than they are today as far as qualifying goes. Um, you, you could see potentially only one car qualify that day, depending on weather conditions and things like that. And I mean, obviously, uh, you think back of, of 1955 where Jerry Hoyt, you know, they say he stole the pole. He he went out very, very late in, in high winds when the drivers had agreed basically to not go out because the winds were so high. Well, Jerry Hoyt wasn't part of that agreement. So he went out very late in the day, put the car on the pole, and then everybody else was like scrambling saying, well, wait a minute, what about the agreement? And he was like, I'm not, wasn't a part of any agreement. So he ended up on the pole. It had rained and the, the rains, it's just a very continual rain situation um, that week. And Jigger went out and his first, you know, he was out on a qualifying attempt and he did three laps. And on the fourth lap, his car owner 
wave the yellow flag because the rules of the day were then if you took your four lap run, that was your four lap run. You didn't get other opportunities. You once a car at that point took the checkered flag, that was it. It, it only got one one. You could only take the checkered flag one time in those days. The car owner waved off the check the uh, the run on Jigger's fourth lap, and then. The next car went out to qualify. Well, it started to rain during that attempt, and the rest of the day was rained out. So had Jigger taken that run, um, it rained out the rest of that day. It rained out actually on Sunday as well. Um, And with the rules of the day, no car would have bumped Jigger the next weekend. He would have started on the pole because he would have been the only qualifier from the first weekend. So... um, you know, then he tried to qualify later on on the second weekend, wasn't able to make the race. Uh, and so he's always been this kind of, you know, he gets this, you know, he's the hard luck story because of the fact that he, you know, had his car owner just not wave the flag and just took the run. He would have been the pole winner for the 1969 Indianapolis 500. He attempted to qualify every year up until 1975, but the beginning of that run was 1969. That was also the year when Jigger Soroy sat down with the voice of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network, Sid Collins. The recent popular song talks about little green apples and the fact that it doesn't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime. I'd like to invite that songwriter here to go apple hunting with me. We've already found the rain. Yesterday, about 200,000 Hardy fans sat in it or scurried from it all day long. With only one qualification try made by Leon DeRay Jigger Saroy, he didn't finish his fourth lap, thinking it not fast enough. So in retrospect, now after a night's sleep, he may be wishing he'd qualified the car, sat on the pole as a new rookie driver, and be in the field race day. Arnie Knepper from Belleville, Illinois, began his warm-up laps after Saroy came in. But rain began again, and he was called in. And that was the action, or lack of it, all day yesterday. The Speedway owner, Tony Holman, announced that all tickets would be honored as rain checks, and the fans could return for another session this week. Now, Mr. Holman didn't have to do this under the rules, but he did, and the gesture received the biggest applause of the day. But anyone who came back this morning was greeted with the same gloominess they left here last night. Believe it or not, rain again all day long in Indianapolis. As a matter of fact, the track finally opened at 1.03, closed for rain at 1.13, opened again for half an hour for practice at 1.22, practice finished at 1.32 and was closed again, and only Bill Vukovic, A.J. Foyt, and Jerry Grant took the track at all. The lack of even one qualifier yesterday was the first time that's happened since 1953, and inclusive of today, this is the first time two days have been rained out in the history of the track. Now, in this program, we'll hear from Jigger Saroy and Parnelly Jones in regard to their accidents and incidents yesterday because last night, after the closing hours at 6 p.m., an unfortunate but important racing news event was made. Driver Al Unser, assigned to the car, entered by former winner Parnelly Jones. Al was bored with the day of waiting around, worked off some steam riding a motorcycle back in Gasoline Alley. The cycle flipped, and Al received a broken leg. He's out of these May activities now entirely, and the car at the moment has no driver. More details upcoming from Parnelli. But now let's hear from Jigger in this tape made earlier today. 
The big story here yesterday during the rainout was the run of Jigger Saroy, who went three laps, averaging about 161 miles an hour, and then was flagged in before he completed his run, which would have put him on the pole. We're alongside Jigger as he prepares to practice again this afternoon and perhaps try to run again today. He'll tell us about that. First of all, and more important though, sir, what is your reaction as you've thought about it and slept on it as to your run yesterday? Should you have taken the pole or not? Well, that was really quite an experience, Sid. And just to be honest about it, yes, it would have been nice if we could have gotten the pole, but however, at that speed, I don't think it would have held up very long. And the decision, I think also should be the owner's because he spends all the, all the money, and he, and he also makes it possible for me to be here. Have you talked with the owner today? Has he uh, thought it over also? To be honest about it, no, I haven't seen the owner today. Maybe he has thought it over and is hiding out someplace. <laughs> that's a possibility, I suppose. Well, you made a lot of talk anyway for the press and the television the radio folks, that's for sure. Yes, the day was rather dull otherwise. If my speed could have just been a couple miles an hour more, though, I could have solved the whole thing myself, so I don't blame anyone else at all, Sid. Trigger's real name is Leon DeRay Saroy. And I looked up the records last night. I'm sure you're aware of this. In 1925 and 1928, Leon DeRay sat on the pole here. Yes, I was just informed of that as of this morning. So that would have given you another uh, tie-in with your namesake anyway, to have had the pole, even though you might have been bumped later. Yeah, that would have put us closer for a little bit anyway. Now, if you have been bumped, the word is there's another car in the garage, and that's something else we can all speculate about. Yes, we do have a new Gerhardt Wedge car at home, and there's a possibility that we could have gotten that you know, ready in time so I could have qualified again. Because everything out here, Jigger, as you find already, I know from your experience with your father, having been a mechanic, Frenchie Saroy, here for many years, you know it's, it's all in ifs and uh, possibilities and probabilities, and it's a big gamble, a big chess game, isn't it? In all sincerity, it's a very big gamble. It most certainly is. You're a young man who's thought about coming here all your life, I understand. Yes, I have. So this is the realization of a dream come true, and you're still on the sidelines right now. As I pulled out of the pits for the first time on my driver's test, and almost every time since, it's a, it's a great psychological feeling for me just to be here. But however, now I want to get in the race. That's the most important thing, to be in the race. Where's your dad today? He's at home. Listening to us, I hope. I suppose he is, yes. In, in Hammond? No, it's in Shelby, Indiana. Which is near Hammond. Yes, it's only about 25 miles south of there. I wish you very good luck in the race if you make it, and certainly in all of your racing endeavors. I would like to thank you very much, Sid, for your interest. Been talking with Leon DeRay Jigger Saroy, the man who almost captured the pole here yesterday. Jigger Saroy, by the way, would go on to race 10 USAC Championship Open Wheel Races. He finished a best fifth in Phoenix in 1969. We certainly wish Jigger Saroy the best. Mike, when it comes to those drivers who have been legendary throughout the Speedway and throughout racing careers, uh, Jigger Saroy is not the only one, unfortunately, and I hate to put it in those terms, uh, that right now is kind of on the tough side of things from a health standpoint. Another of those is a driver who made not one, not two, but four Indianapolis 500 starts, a contemporary of Saroy's for that matter, talking about Cale Yarborough. Yeah, and, and I think of Cale Yarborough as, you know, an Iron Man, and you think of you know, I think of Cale Yarbrough is just indestructible. And so you think of, you know, the, the tough health challenges Cale Yarbrough is going through. And I, when I brought up to you when I was thinking about, you know, what we should talk about on the show tonight, I want to I wanna send out, you know, our best wishes to Cale for, you know, you know better health. And, and, you know, just another guy who he's always been outstanding with fans. Uh, you know, just mountains and mountains of fan mail over the years that this guy is also. Him and Jigger together both have signed, you know, just just tremendous tremendous with the fans as Kale Yarbrough has been over the years and and uh 
you know, these are the type of guys I just want to take the time and salute to everything that they have given us. Uh, you know, I, I take time to, you know, thank them and, you know, give back to them just a little bit um, for everything that they've done for us over the years. When you think about the totality of a driving career, and obviously, as we mentioned, running in Indianapolis, he had one top 10 finish in those four starts. But Mike, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that was able to tabulate and accumulate the kind of statistics over the vast racing career in cup racing than Cale Yarborough. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because you know you know Jimmy Johnson just got elected to the Hall of Fame and the NASCAR Hall of Fame the other night, and I I say you know I'm willing to stand on this limb that if you look at Cale Yarborough's career and Jimmy Johnson's NASCAR career, I think Cale Yarborough had a greater career. I mean I think Cale Yarborough had just an outstanding career. I mean you know four time Daytona 500 winner, uh, you know won the Southern 500 five times. He won the cup championship when it was the cup championship, you know, three times, uh, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous career, as you just alluded to, uh, you know, Cale Yarborough, uh, you know, one of those guys that, I, you know, I think along with also along with Dale Earnhardt was a guy you didn't want to see in the rearview mirror. You didn't want to see Cale Yarborough because, you know, Cale Yarborough was a football player, uh, you know, growing up and he had a lot of stamina. So, you know, he was one of those guys that you did not want to see in the rearview mirror late in a race. I know that. So, outstanding career. He may also be one of the guys who was most responsible for transcending the Daytona 500 into the American conscience and putting it first and foremost. We'll explain what we mean by that. But first, let's hear from Kale Yarborough, or actually thoughts about Kale Yarborough from the historian emeritus of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Donald Davidson. Cal Yarborough drove in uh, four 500s and, in fact, was only entered four times. And uh, uh, the, the brief version is that that's 66, 67, 70, and 71. And he was actually entered in 68 but, but never came uh, because um, of uh, NASCAR conflict. So uh, the entry came in early. Uh, when it was Phil Headback and uh, Roll of Allstead, Bryant Heating and Cooling, and they would try to get the first entry in all the time. And I believe in uh, that uh, uh, 68, I believe that was the first entry to come in and be announced, but within a matter of days, uh, they they had to make a change because Kale wasn't going to be available after all, and Arnie Canepa was the driver. Anyway, uh, Kale's first year was 66, and he drove for, uh, actually, Roll of Allstead, was uh, in partnership with um, uh, Jim Robbins, and uh, he drove the car that had w- was new in 64, driven by Len Sutton, and then 65 by Billy Foster, and that was Kale's ride for 66. And he didn't get very far, uh, came down the straightaway, and there was this accident that actually involved his teammate, uh, Billy Foster, and uh, just a, a huge accident going into turn one. No injuries except for Foyt uh, climbing the fence and cutting his thumb as he went over. And uh, I remember the um, uh, on the, 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 one of the documentary films that was made of that race, they had uh, several voices of drivers, and you didn't see them. You just heard the, the voices. And uh, Cal Yarbers is quite distinctive because he says, Oh, no, it can't be. And uh, anyway, he was out of that uninjured, as were the rest of them. And in 67, he was back uh, to drive for Volstead with Bryant's sponsorship. 
uh, he had a little bit of a difficult day. There was a couple of spins, and and uh, the the final one was uh, within sight of the finish when he tangled with Mel Kenyon, and Kenyon was um, running in ninth, and they both uh, spun down uh, to the inside. Uh, Kenyon stayed at the cockpit, and again, I haven't watched this for years and years and years, and uh, uh, Cal Yarbrough gets out of the cockpit and goes over to Kenyon and then very quickly turns around and then walks away, and I'm just assuming that Mel Kenyon probably said a very un-Mel Kenyon-like thing to him. And uh, So anyway, the, the finishing position was 17th, and then I mentioned 68 that he was entered, but uh, very quickly uh, w- withdrew because of NASCAR commits. So 69, he wasn't entered. Uh, 70, he wasn't entered. And then 71 and 72, he drove for Gene White. And uh, in 71, uh, he they, and he was uh, teammates with Lloyd Ruby in, in both years. And, boy, they really hit it off. And uh, Kale dropped out late in the 71 race to get a 16th place finish. And then in 72, with the Bill Daniels GOP special, painted red, white, and blue like an American flag, uh, or similar to to, uh, to an American flag, and, and he finished 10th, which was by far his best uh, position uh, finish. And then that's the last time he was here as a driver. But he spoke very fondly of coming to the Speedway. I think he wanted to do it from the time that, that uh, he was quite young. And he was, uh, I think he stayed at the Howard Johnson's out by um, 465 in Crawfordsville. I don't know that for sure, except that we, in talking with him one time, uh, he talked about driving to the track and getting in a terrible traffic jam for qualifications. And uh, he said eventually he had to pull over to the side of the road and then uh, walk the rest of the way. So we figured it was somewhere on Crawfordsville Road, and uh, it, it must have been uh, from the Howard Johnsons. But anyway, he um, had uh, very fond memories of... Uh, of being at the track, and and uh, the surprising thing about Cale Yarbrough, he was immensely strong, but not tall. I mean, it was it was quite surprising that uh, he was not a big man at all. Uh, almost, uh, you know, sort of down in uh, in uh, in Mario Andretti um, area, but but with uh, huge shoulders, upper upper half. Uh, uh, of the body, and I know he was a football player, but uh, he wasn't very tall to be a football player. But 1979, by the way, that's Donald Davidson on Cale Yarborough. Um, I think, Mike, it's safe to say that 1979, a lot of people would tell you that the Daytona 500 really kind of got into the American mainstream conscience when um, Cale Yarborough was involved in fisticuffs, essentially, for lack of a better phrase, a huge brawl with Donnie Allison that took place during the 79 Daytona 500, and Mike, as I understand it, the thing that was so significant about that is that was during a time when the better part of the northeastern seaboard of the United States had had a blizzard. And so as a result of that, you know, everybody was still snowed in and people are looking. It's kind of like when we went through COVID, people were looking for something to watch on television and here they're watching this race. And now a guy gets out of the car and starts yelling at somebody else in the infield grass. And lo and behold, now they're throwing, you know, tempers are flaring and guys are rolling around and two brothers are involved in the Allison brothers and lo and, and then boom, next thing you know, kind of overnight, everybody's talking about the Daytona 500, a brilliant racing career. Um, and I say that almost more like anecdotally as, 
uh, a note to Kale Yarbrough because by no means stretch of the imagination did that define his career, but to the transcendent fan, something in which they would most perhaps recall. Now, Mike, before we um, go to break here, I wanted to give you the opportunity to touch a little bit more on our first subject tonight because I know he's close to you in Jigger Saroy. Yeah, I just wanted to, to say that one of the things I was thinking of today about Jigger is, you know, we, we set up the fact that he's known and, and Donald used to get on calls all the time to the point where, you know, you know, he's getting the calls all the time about tell the Jigger Soroy story. Um, I think personally, you know, yes, it would have been it would have been fabulous for Jigger had he made the Indianapolis 500. Um, you know, he would have treasured that he would have cherished it. But the, the more I've been thinking about it is he's done so much good with the fact that he, he he's known for the fact that what happened to him and he's turned that into such a positive. And, and he, you know, everybody comes up to, you know, in fact, I wrote him for an autograph well before I knew, you know, knew him. And I think I was like 15 years old. and I wrote him for an autograph and he actually hand wrote something to me saying, I want you to know I never made the Indianapolis 500. I don't want you to think I'm pulling the wool over your eyes. You know what I mean? He he took the time to say that he wasn't an Indianapolis 500 driver, which I knew obviously at the time, but but that's just who Jigger is, you know. And but I just think that if you think about the fact that, you know, he has this extra notoriety for for this this sad thing that happened that he didn't win the poll, you know, and he you know, had he got the poll and finished, you know, 21st or, you know, 18th or something, maybe he wouldn't have that same notoriety that he's been able to use and help so many people. You know, he's, he's helped, you know, like I say, countless kids at Riley and, and all these different people that he's helped with, with, uh, uh, you know, Jigger had a stuttering issue that, that he had from the time he was a kid and he's helped so many people overcome stuttering issues and things like that because of his notoriety. And so, so it's one of those things that I think that he was given this, this task um, you know, you're not going to make the Indianapolis 500 in this terrible, sad way. And, and he took it and he ran with it and, and he's helped so many people. And it's just a he's just a wonderful prince of a person. I mean, he's just just somebody I'm so blessed and lucky to know and, and call a friend. When we come back, we will not only get you the schedule for this weekend, but also celebrate a birthday. And it's going to involve a lot of candles. We'll explain. You're listening on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan to be on the Bricks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Beyond the Bricks on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You go 200 miles an hour for more until night. You'll find out just how strong your deodorant is. I'm Kale Yarbrough. I drive race cars. This is my deodorant, Old Spice Stick. Hey, Old Spice isn't just strong. It's 24 hours strong. Old Spice Stick is the only leading deodorant that says it right on the label. 24-hour deodorant protection. You want a deodorant that lasts longer than you do, this is the one. 24 hours strong. Old Spice deodorant and antiperspirant. Jake Perry, Eddie Garrison, who is 24 hours strong. He is here all the time. The pride of Decatur Central in the University of Indianapolis. Which is weird that he would be a hawk because he's flying the Millennium Falcon, the 
Master Control for us tonight. Mike Thompson as well. It is Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Mike, what year are we talking for Cale Yarborough when he was hawking Old Spice? Uh, I believe that was 1984, little Old Spice spot there. 1984. With the, I don't, did, they, did they drop the 24-hour claim? I've not heard that Old Spice claims to be a 24-hour protection. Yeah, I think they don't do that anymore. I think I think when they got rid of the stick, you know, the old old spice <laughs> stick. That's right. I I didn't know if maybe like you know Stetson or somebody had taken over the twenty four hour claim. Somebody came out with a twenty five hour stick and they went out of value. You know, I didn't know. Um, that was it. Hey, um, we had mentioned the fact that not twenty four hours, but rather a long time ago. As a matter of fact, if my quick math tells me, it would be one hundred and thirty nine years ago today. There was. A birth, so it is the birthday, the 139th of a man that some people may not know his name, but they certainly know his image or his contribution, Mike. But it's a big one in the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yes, today is is the birthday of Louis Strang, and people at home might say, "Okay, who's Louis Strang?" But uh, he actually has several important you know, things that he's connected with. First of all, if you've ever seen the photograph, the, you know, the vision, he's that guy. So he is uh, the gentleman that was wearing kind of a, an overcoat and a top hat, and he's standing overlooking the... Yeah, the, the chalk outline of, of the Indianapolis, what will be the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Our a lot friend of from will, Illinois, Paul Dalby, has worked tirelessly, by the way, to try to find the exact location where that photo took place. That's correct. Yes. And and a lot of people believe the person in that picture is like one of the four founders. It's not. It's it's Louis Strang. Now, Louis Strang was also the pole sitter for the first Indianapolis 500 in 1911. Uh, so, you know, he's historic for that. And he's also uh, sadly historic because he was the first uh, Indianapolis 500 driver to pass away. Uh, just a few months, very, very shortly after, you know, driving the Indianapolis 500 in 1911, uh, where, you know, he started first, uh, he he passed away on uh, July 20th in an accident. Uh, he was driving uh, down a, uh, just a, you know, regular country road type road uh, about five miles an hour. And while trying to avoid a, a farmer who was in the road, he ac- he was fatally injured. Uh, in, in an accident. So he actually was the first Indianapolis 500 driver of the 795 starting drivers to pass away. And Mike, the thing about being the pole sitter for the first Indianapolis 500, you correct me if I'm wrong, but for those that are listening that may not be familiar, uh, they did not go out and have a qualifying attempts in the four lap average and those things. Back then, that would have meant, if I'm cor- and you correct me if I'm wrong, that would have meant that he was the first to submit his paperwork to run in the Indianapolis 500. That his team, correct, his team was the first to submit, and then so he got the poll due to the fact that they were the first to send in their entry. That's correct. Um, so happy birthday to Lewis Strain. By the way, for those that are also familiar, if you know the photo that we're talking about where he is standing, um, crouched over, hands on knees, looking over the chalk outline of the track, that photo, and Paul would be able to tell me specifically and exactly where, I, I know you probably can as well, Mike, but essentially that photo was taken, if I'm not mistaken, uh, kind of like behind the Southeast Vista area and in, in over towards the Brickyard Crossing, correct? That's correct. Over by where the, the motel used to be. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, 
in addition to that, it's also kind of an anniversary today of an event that I know, especially with your upbringing, Mike, is of particular significance to those that are racing enthusiasts from the area, more so in our era than that of Lewis Strang. Yes, it's well, it's also it's important to me because of the the fact that it's it's the 1988 Michigan 500, uh, which is near and dear to my heart because I went to the Michigan 500 uh, basically every year from uh I think 80, I missed 80, I went to 82, I missed 83, and then I went from 84 on for many years. Uh, but this particular year is important because it gave us one of the great television moments of all time, which was which was a clip that I, I clipped and I, I sent it out on my Twitter or whatever Twitter is now these days. I guess it's not Twitter. That'd be anymore, the X, that's right. Yeah, X, I guess it is. But you don't want I to tell people today. you posted an X video. So yes, yeah, saying on yes. Twitter is fine. Yeah, so I, I posted it today, but I did want to give you the clip so you could hear the, the, the greatness that is the cold open for the 1988 Michigan Five. All right, here we go. At Michigan, knowing when to play your trump card is the difference between winning and losing. You got any aces? The game is poker and we are using my cards. Now I'm not going to lie to you. That sounded kind of like an next video there at the beginning. I got a little nervous. But that is, <laughs> those guys are sitting around playing cards, if I'm not mistaken, just based on the voices. And I've seen it before, obviously. But it uh, sounded like Al Jr., Mario, and Emerson Fittipaldi. Is that right? It's Well, at the beginning, it's Rick Mears playing Go Fish Mears, okay. with, with Al Jr. in this dimly lit room with this Marlboro ashtray on the table. And they were running and, and for the Marlboro Million, right? Right. And then all of a sudden, this this door just opens and Mario walks in with Emerson Fittipaldi asking to be dealt in. And now suddenly they're going to play poker with with Emerson's cards. It's it's one of the great acting jobs of our time. So you, you have to look it up. <laughs> the race, by the way, was won by Danny Sullivan in what was surely a better race than it was an open. Uh, also on this day, by the way, guess what happened in 2005 at 16th and Georgetown in the Brickyard 400. Here's how it sounded. The fans cheering. stretch. Tony Stewart, a native Hoosier, his dream comes true. Tony Stewart wins the Old State 400 at the Brickyard. Let the party begin. Chocolate shake for everybody at the Dairy Queen in Columbus. Tony Stewart wins the 2005 Brickyard 400. Not the only Hoosier legend to run at Indianapolis. We'll take a look back at another one on the other side. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Beyond the Bricks on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
talking about Tony Stewart winning the Daytona, or excuse me, the Brickyard 400 on this date in 2005. Of course, when it comes to Hoosier racers and those like Jigger Saroy that had run in USAC and different areas of racing, few were more versatile when it came to winning on anything that he could get his hands on a wheel than Brian Clawson, who sadly was fatally injured on this day. Hard to believe this. Some well, now seven years ago today, August 7th of 2016, we lost Brian Clawson, of course a hero by donating his organs and saving the lives of others. Since then, driventosavelives.org, that's driven the number two, savelives.org, has carried on his memory in trying to get others to do the same. But in 2016, just before the Indianapolis 500, Brian Clawson, amidst a busy schedule, had a chance to sit down with Mike Thompson, as a matter of fact, and talk about the hectic nature of squeezing in the Indy 500. BC, first got to ask you, with all the racing you do, how do you even fit the 500 in your schedule? I mean, you're the busiest guy in anywhere in May. Yeah, it's tough. I, you know, I actually gave, you know, I, we're, we're doing the, uh, you know, the, the chasing 200 uh, uh, deal where I'm trying to run 200 races, and uh, uh, I feel like I've given up 10 or 12 being here. I feel like every night I click on my phone, see what's going on, and there's a race. I'm like, man. But, uh, yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, uh, it's a busy month, and uh, uh, especially a busy year for myself but to have the opportunity to be here and and kind of showcase short track racing in front of uh, the largest uh, stage in in the world is uh, pretty special. How much fun is that for you to be able to carry the short track banner? I mean there's so many people who you know we want to see more short track drivers in the 500 and it has to be gratifying to be able to carry that banner. Yeah without a doubt it is it's uh, you know put a little bit more pressure on myself because I want to represent well but uh, uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, uh, you know to be able to to represent them and then not only that but you know when we leave when we get done here sunday and go to kokomo sunday night uh see all those fans that that not only supported me from afar but we have a you know we have a you know four buses of, of a couple hundred people going up to kokomo to, to share in the experience of doing both with me and and uh, there's some fans that are going to do it on their own so it's it's a lot of fun to share the experience with with the folks that uh, have supported me since day one you've had tremendous support from your hometown in noblesville i mean those guys have really been behind you i mean every time your name is mentioned on the pa i hear this huge cheer that comes up yeah without a doubt you know it's a lot of fun racing close to home and uh, uh i've got a great hometown i've i've uh, you know, had a, had a few chances to move away, but just can't. And uh, you know, I, I really enjoy it there. I, I graduated at Miller in '07, and. Uh hopefully my kids graduate from noblesville so uh uh someday so it's uh it's been a it's been a lot of fun and, and they've been uh, really active and, and supportive throughout the month and uh, you know, it certainly makes you feel good i heard you talking to alan about this how important is it for you to run the whole day and get those 500 miles and really put that behind you ah it's huge um you know it's uh it's 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 the number one goal on sunday uh which sounds pretty uh, elementary but uh you know that's that's where we're at. Um, you know, I feel really I feel confident that if we if we run all 500 miles, that uh, we're going to have a good day because because our car's been been really comfortable in race trim. We've been uh, been able to you know move in and around cars, and uh, uh, so we're excited to uh, to get out there Sunday. But those you can't uh, can't replace those miles, and, and especially doing it once a year, it's uh, important to go through that and, and uh, you know get through that for the first time. Is there anything that you can take from your USAC experience and, and put it in transfer it here, or is it such diverse worlds that it doesn't really transfer at all? I, I always say that USAC teaches you to be uh, able to adapt, so uh, that's what I can take from USAC racing is, is learning to adapt day in and day out and uh, uh, being able to handle whatever they throw at me. 
Brian Clawson was running at the end of the 2016 Indy 500. He turned 198 laps. By the way, he was leading on lap 100 of the 100th running of the Indy 500. Schedule for you this weekend, Friday. Again, it's going to be the Gallagher Grand Prix practice getting underway from 9 until 10.30, then Indy next from 11 to 11.50. 12.30 until 2 o'clock, the Gallagher Grand Prix qualifying. That's for IndyCar at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Indy Next qualifies from 220 to 240, and then from 4 until 430, it is practice for the Indy cars, 450 until 550 Indy Next practice. That is on Friday, and then on Saturday, busy day. The Pennzoil 150, presented by Advanced Auto Parts Practice, gets underway at 9.35. Big thing, of course, comes up for the fact that the Gallagher Grand Prix is at 2 o'clock, followed by the NASCAR Xfinity Series Brick Walk at 4.40, and then at 5.30, the Pennzoil 150, presented by Advanced Auto Parts Race, and then, of course, the Brickyard coming up on Sunday. Mike, a lot of fun uh, tonight. We will do it again tomorrow. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. Miss you, BC. All right. Uh, Brian Clausen, again, driven to save lives.org is the website and absolutely missed for certain. For Eddie Garrison and for Mike Thompson, my name is Jake Quarry. Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., I'll be with Kevin Bowen from Colts Camp for Kevin and Quarry.